0: Hello and welcome to the Free Gift Podcast, originating from the Free Gift Gospel Mission. The Free Gift Gospel Mission is an independent Bible-believing church preaching Jesus Christ as man's only provision for redemption and salvation. We are located at 1025 Maple Street in Kingsport, Tennessee, on the corner of Maple and Brook. This podcast is a Christ-centered ministry reaching out to souls with the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. Hello everyone, Pastor Vern here, and what I would like to do tonight is to take a look at a book that I read several years ago. It's called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. This is a book that I read maybe three years ago and I went back a few days ago and uh, was just browsing back through this and doing some review and I noticed a lot of highlighted passages and notes that I had made in the book and I thought maybe it would be beneficial or maybe it would be a help and a blessing to someone if we just went back and and uh, read some of these passages out of the book and made a few brief comments on, on those passages so that's what I'd like to do for a few minutes tonight. Let's just get right into this. The first one is on page number 11 in the book, The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. And here's what it says. It says, the Bible says, in the beginning, God. The God we worship is the God who has always been. He alone can create beings because he alone has the power of being. He is not nothing. He is not chance. He is pure being, the one who has the power of to be all by himself, he alone is eternal; he alone has power over death. He alone can call worlds into being by fiat by the power of his command. Such power is staggering, awesome, it is deserving of respect and humble adoration. So what we have here is a statement of the eternality and the power of God. He's not just some little gee God who just showed up one day who just wandered along and we took him in and set him up on a pedestal and made a God out of him. No, he's the eternal, all-powerful, and only true and living God. He's the only God worthy of our praise and worship. He's the God of purpose. He's the God who upholds all things by the word of his power. He's the one who breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That's why we're here. We're here because he created us and gave us life. We didn't get here on our own. We were created by the eternal, all-powerful, purposeful God. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. On page 44 in The Holiness of God, it says, In Otto's study of the human experience of the holy, he discovered that the clearest sensation that human beings have when they experience the holy is an overpowering and overwhelming sense of creatureliness. That is, when we are aware of the presence of God, we become most aware of ourselves as creatures. When we meet the absolute, we know immediately that we are not absolute. When we meet the infinite, we become acutely conscious that we are finite. When we meet the eternal, we know we are temporal. To meet God is a powerful study in contrast. One thing that we need to always remember, friends, is that he's God and we're not. He's the potter and we're only the clay. It's a grave mistake for a man or a woman to live their lives willfully blinded to their own finitude. We were created by God for his glory. We were put on this earth by God for his glory. Our lives should be about him, about the eternal one. Nothing else is going to last, therefore nothing else will ultimately matter. Tom Brady's seven Super Bowl rings will not ultimately matter. They're not going to amount to anything in eternity. Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and all of their NBA championships, they're not going to matter in eternity. No earthly trinket will ever be able to influence God. He's holy, and we need to worship him in the beauty of his holiness. And uh, on uh, page 58, it says this, as we just move right along here. It says, people have an appreciation for moral excellence as long as it is removed a safe distance from them. The Jews honored the prophets from a distance. The world honors Christ from a distance. And I've certainly noticed this attitude. It's the attitude that says, I don't mind Jesus as long as he doesn't get too close. Just keep Jesus over there away from me and me and Jesus, will get along just fine they want to keep jesus in neutral territory but there is no neutral territory it all belongs to god you see we're either for christ or we're against christ to try to keep jesus at a distance is to be against him and one reason people would like to try to keep jesus off at a distance is because they are convicted by the truth they want to pick and choose the things that they consider to be moral excellence and as long as Jesus lines up with their definition of morality, they don't have a problem with that. But as soon as Jesus cuts against their grain, and he says, nothing you do with any other motivation than for my glory will ever be good, it's then and there that they'll part ways with Jesus and suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. But not the true believer. The true believer will strive to honor Jesus the true believer will strive to obey Jesus and they will submit themselves to his lordship and strive to do and say those things that bring him glory. On page 90 in The Holiness of God, it says, For a good deed to pass the standard of God's goodness, it must flow out of a heart that loves God perfectly and loves our neighbor perfectly as well. Since none of us achieves that perfect love for God and our neighbor All of our outwardly good deeds are tarnished. They carry the blemish of the imperfections of our inner motivations. The logic of the Bible is this. Since no one has a perfect heart, no one does a perfect deed. That quote right there represents a biblical truth that destroys the heretical doctrine of sinless perfectionism. You see, the sinless perfection crowd is always associating sin with Things such as adultery and drunkenness and lying and cheating and stealing and cussing and so on. And make no mistake about it, all of those things are sin. That's definitely sin. But sin is much more than that. Sin is much more than just that active personal choice that we make. When a Bible-believing Christian says that we can never be sinlessly perfect, we're not saying that we can't stop committing adultery or we can't stop getting drunk or we can't stop using foul language. Any person who lives a life that's characterized by these sins has not submitted themselves to the Lordship of Christ. They've shown no regard to bring glory to a holy God, and they need to be saved. When you're saved, you're not going to be out here living in in adultery. You're not going to be out here cussing with every breath. You're not going to be out at the bars getting drunk. No. You see, you can choose to say no to all of that, but there is something that you cannot do, and that is to achieve a perfect love for God or a perfect love for your neighbor. When we fall short of God's perfect standard, guess what that's called? It's called sin. You see, you don't have to get drunk and and cuss every breath to have sin. Every imperfect thought is sin. This is why we need the imputed righteousness of Christ. This is why we need the grace of God every waking moment of our lives. And I know that people who claim that we can be sinlessly perfect will often dispute this truth by citing places in the Bible where Jesus told someone to go and sin no more, such as John chapter 5 and verse number 14, or John chapter 8 and verse number 11. And they'll say, well, Jesus would never command us to do something that we're unable to do. Therefore, the command would be to never commit another sin and to be perfect in every way. The problem with that belief is that it imagines Jesus himself to believe something about those people that contradicts his own revelation. Jesus never imagined that either of those people or anyone else would live the rest of their lives without sinning, but it was right to expect that they would not be indulging in sin, and it is right to expect that they would not be wallowing in sin. You see, Jesus knew that they would never be able to love God perfectly. Jesus knew that they would never love their neighbor perfectly. He knew that they would never have a perfect heart and therefore never do a perfect deed. So the command to sin no more, as A.W. Pink said, that's a word for the conscience. Grace doesn't ignore the requirements of God's holiness. Sin no more is still the standard. That is still the standard that's set before us. And if you do sin, you could rest assured, if you're a child of God, God is going to chastise you, for the Lord chastens those that he loves. Let's look on down here, uh, page 126, in the holiness of God. It says that I am drawing breath this morning is an act of divine mercy. God owes me nothing, I owe him everything. If he allows a tower to fall on my head this afternoon, I cannot claim injustice. And to that I say, Amen god is totally free to do as he wills with his creation every breath we breathe every step we take every beat of our hearts it all comes by his grace and by his mercy we are not entitled to another heartbeat we are not entitled to another breath of air we live because of him and somebody may say well you know i didn't ask to be alive it used to be a popular thing among teenagers. I don't know if it still is or not, but teenagers used to love to tell their parents, you know, I didn't ask to be born. Well, the main reason any of us were born is not our parents. We have life because God gave us life, and we better thank Him for the lives that He gave us and live our lives to bring Him glory and honor Him. And on the same page, one uh, page 126, It says, people treat each other unfairly. One thing is certain, no matter how much injustice I have suffered from the hands of other people, I have never suffered the slightest injustice from the hand of God. You know, none of us have ever suffered any injustice at the hand of God, and we never will. We don't always understand why things happen the way they do. That accident, that loved one who passed away, that time we lost our employment or any number of different things but we can be sure of this much god has infinite knowledge he knows the end from the beginning he has a purpose for everything that happens and everything that he does is done by a good god with all knowledge and more than sufficient reasoning and his reasoning is not faulty like human reasoning that's just another reason why we're not his judge page 162 it says when we make dancing and movies the test of spirituality we are guilty of substituting a cheap morality for a genuine one we do these things to obscure the deeper issues of righteousness anyone can avoid dancing or going to the movies these require no great effort or of moral courage what is difficult is to control the tongue to act with integrity to reveal the fruit of the Spirit. Now, he said a lot right there. It's true, avoiding the movie theater is easy. I'm afraid that's why many Christians, even preachers in my area, are all too quick to make, make these types of things the dividing line. They'll say true Christians don't go to the movies. They don't go to ball games. They don't do this and they don't do that. They don't go to the beach. They don't go to the swimming pool. And then some of the very Ones that preach this type of cheap morality neglect to pay their own bills. They fail to live with integrity. They neglect those deeper issues of righteousness such as loving your neighbor. Now you might be a preacher and you might preach a lot of things that are true. But if you can't love your brother, you don't really know God. Some matters are more difficult than avoiding a movie or a ball game. Those things are easy to do. A child or a new convert can avoid a movie theater or a dance hall. But pay your bills. Honor your word. Be a person of integrity. Bring that tongue under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's not cheap morality. That's genuine morality when you do those things and you do them for the glory of God. Page 167 It says, the Holy Spirit knows what holiness is. He's called the Holy Spirit not only because he is holy himself, but also because he is working to produce holiness in us. We were just talking about this Wednesday night at church from Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, These make up the fruit of the Spirit. It's not our fruit in the sense that we cannot produce the fruit in and of ourselves. No amount of good works, no amount of living right will ever produce this fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. He's the one who produces the fruit within us. Page 178, it says, If we had any compassion for other people, we would wail at the thought of a single one of them falling into the pit of hell. We could not stand to hear the cries of the damned for five seconds. To be exposed to God's fury for a moment would be more than we could bear. To contemplate it for eternity is too awful to consider. You know, there's very little compassion today. There's very little concern for lost sinners. If we truly believe that hell is a real place... And all who die without Jesus Christ are going there. I believe that would change everything. If we really believe that, it would change everything. I believe people would actually evangelize instead of just attending church services. He talked about being exposed to God's fury for a moment. That would be a moment that would etch itself in our brains for the rest of our lives. Being exposed to God's fury for eternity is unimaginable. But that's what many people are headed for unless they repent and believe the gospel. And I pray that they do. Page 180, it says this. It says, if we are unconverted, one thing is absolutely certain. We hate God. This is true. The Bible is very clear. All of those who have not trusted in Christ are still in their unrepentant sin, and they are the enemies of God. James chapter 4 and verse number 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, I know that there are many who are lost and who will say, Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I love the Lord. But even Jesus spoke of those who would honor them with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. You can't love God and hate your brother. You can't love God and hate the church. But the good news is, there can be reconciliation. We can be reconciled to the Father by the death of his Son. And this reconciliation is possible because of his love for us. When God saves a sinner, he saves someone who is opposed to him cold toward him and by his grace the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us and he forgives our sins and makes us new creations and I could go on I have other notes and other highlights but that's all I'm going to cover for now I do pray that somehow the Lord has used something here to be a help and an encouragement to you if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, Savior, I am thankful to call you my brother or sister in the Lord. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, you've violated the law of the Holy God and you stand condemned and you stand in need of a Savior. God has declared the just punishment for your sinful rebellion to be eternity in hell. But Jesus Christ came into this world. He was virgin-born lived a sinless life for over 33 years, fully God and fully man. He gave his own life on the cross as a ransom for many. He shed his blood there on the cross and he died. But he rose again on that third day and ascended to the Father and shall come again at the time appointed. And his requirement for all people is that we repent and believe the gospel. Friends, trust Christ alone today for your salvation and receive everlasting and eternal life. This is Pastor Vern So long for now. Thank you for listening to the Free Gift Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us online at www.freegiftgospelmission.wordpress.com. Our service times are as follows. Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m., Morning worship is at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m., and Wednesday night at 7 p.m. We are located at 1025 Maple Street in Kingsport, Tennessee, and we welcome all visitors. If you would like to correspond via email, you may email me, Pastor Bernhall, at yahoo.com. or you may write to Pastor Bernhall, 3301 Martin Farm Road. Johnson City, Tennessee 37601 We look forward to seeing you at the Free Gift Gospel Mission where the gospel is preached and the Lord Jesus Christ is praised Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you